are now tuned into. What's going on, everybody? And thank you for joining me once again to another episode of Pop 5 here on Sideshow Conversations. It's your boy, your host, Val, with my special guest, Jay Rance. How you doing, Jay? What's up, brother? I'm good, man. How you doing? I'm chilling. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. We haven't done a Pop 5 in a few, and I feel like today, today is the day to throw some heat your way, man. This is a topic that we've been talking about for a couple of weeks, but we never really got to it. But now it's the time to unveil the monster. <laughs> Wait, are you gonna sw- switch the subject on me? Like, mm, I'm not at all. I'm not gonna give you a kaiju big battle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you had to see my face for a second. I'm like, ooh, okay, what's what's going on here? Like, <laughs> it's a swerve. <laughs> nope, nope, nope. Today's episode is pop five Marvel anti heroes. How do you feel about that? We actually been talking about this for a while, you know, and this is a list that's also kind of tough, but it's kind of um, interesting because, you know, it, I'm excited, like, just to see, to hear your opinions because, you know, a lot of people have this misconception of what is a hero, what is a villain, what is an anti-hero, you know? So I'm excited about this list. You know, I was going to ask you that question to start yeah. off the podcast. What do you feel that is the making of an anti-hero. What trials and tribulations do they have to go through in their series to be called an anti-hero? Well, um, trials and tribulations, like, everybody on my list, I feel like an anti-hero has a um, either checkered or abusive past. Do you get what I'm saying? Or okay. a, traumatic, a traumatic past where they had this life-altering incident and then they fight for good, but they're um, methods are questioned. Do you get what I'm saying? Like you can see a little bit of villainy in their methods to achieve their method, but sometimes it's for the greater good, and they get caught up in that mantle of villain or anti-hero. You get what I'm saying? That's what I think it's to me. That's what makes a anti-hero somebody with a checkered past, a traumatic past. You know, a big life-altering event. What makes an anti-hero to you? Definitely, definitely. In my, I feel you on that. In that sense, also to me, I feel that their motives to them, they feel like they're doing the greater good. Even mm-hmm. though they're very questionable and could be downright evil, they're doing it for the best intentions in their own life or in their mind as well, too. I feel the best anti-heroes are due to uh, what society already perceives them as, the way they look, the way they dress, the way they act, their persona, what people they hang around. So automatically, they already feel like an anti-hero to begin with. They're just going to up the ante on how they portray it in their actions. Yeah, definitely. I so, agree with you on that. So let's start this thing up here. I want to hear your number five. My number five is interesting. I really did not like this character that much. It kind of grew on me. After somewhat of the Avenger movies and playing some, you know, mobile games like Future Fight and stuff, this character grew on me. And I don't know if you see this one coming, but number five is Miss Natasha Romanoff, Black Widow. Ooh, I like uh, it. Yeah, I have to put her as number five. Like I said, this character really grew on me. I really wasn't a fan of her. You know, she first appeared, I think it was in 1964, mm-hmm. um, August. So, like I said, you know, you need a checkered past or a little traumatic incident. You know, she was um, 
trained by the Russians to be, you know, this spy, martial artist, sniper, you know, so that could be her little checkered history and stuff like that. And I feel what makes her anti-hero because she's always been in, um, how can you say, that questionable role, you know. She's been with S.H.I.E.L.D., but also, you know, she's tethered between Hydra and stuff like that. And a lot of people, um, you know, she has worked for the motherland, you know, Mm -hmm. for Russia, for KGB. So that kind of makes her fall in that, okay, what are you? What are your motives? You know, because she is a double agent. So it makes people to believe, are you a villain or are you a hero? You know, so some of the teams, you know, she's been on S.H.I.E.L.D. Avengers, like I said, KGB, which is questionable. But I feel that she's somewhat of a perfect anti-hero for for this list you know like she's real questionable since she's a double agent we've seen her team up with captain america she has that love interest for hawkeye you get what i'm saying so i don't know i just feel like she's a great anti-hero and like i said she grew on me oh i love that pick the fact that you know she played that double agent in the in the comic book story civil war Mm -hmm. played so well played both sides of the tony stark steve rogers fight um, I love the fact that she does have that checkered past, being brought up by the Soviet Union, trading over there to the American public, and just selling out secrets left and right. You're not really mm-hmm. sure where she's at, but ultimately, you kind of feel like she does reside with Nick Fury and the Avengers as well, too, and S.H.I.E.L.D. So I yeah. like the fact that you really never know her motives. My question to you is, do you think she gets the, the respect she deserves for being a... I guess a heroine without powers, really, in a way, in the world where we have our our Scarlet Witches, our Captain Marvels, and things of that nature. Do you feel like she gets forgotten in comic books? I know she's more um, relevant in the movie, in the cinematic universe, but do you yeah. feel like she kind of falls short in the comic book universe? I feel like she definitely does fall short and does not get the respect that she deserves, just like you touched, that she does not have this superpower, you know, these powers and these abilities you know her abilities are you know she's a um expert tactician you know martial artist expert sniper stuff like that and she has that little gauntlet the the widow's bite you get what i'm saying where yep. she has little abilities through that as well like gas pellets knockout gas and stuff like that but like you said she does get lost in the comic book terms and the relevancy just because she doesn't have superpower and you know even in the movie you see it to a certain extent where she's um fighting uh who was it with one of um i think it was like the first avengers where she's fighting and she kind of like feels left out because she doesn't really have that much, you know, oh, yeah. and stuff like that. So she does get overlooked a lot yeah. just because she doesn't have superpowers. As much as I didn't like in uh, Age of Ultron where you see her and Banner have this little love chemistry going on. Oh, I hated that. I, I, hated I, I did hate it, but I did like the idea that she sees herself as a monster as well, yeah. too, because of the fact that she has a checkered past being part of the of the Soviet Union, the KGB as well too, just not able to have children and going through abortions and feeling like a monster that can never really have a child um, because of her her lifestyle. It's it's crazy that she has such a rich past that you can dive into. Yeah. In both ways, you can cast her as a villain right now. You can make her turn into a Hydra agent and be an Avenger villain. Hell, she knows half the Avengers' secrets. Why wouldn't she be one of the most scariest villains? She is like the female Batman in the Marvel Universe. That's scary to think of. It it is. Like you said, can you imagine if she was to deflect to Hydra, knowing all the secrets and, you know, becoming... She is like, you know, I don't want to say Nick Fury's right arm, but, like, she is up there, you know, one of his trusted agents. You get what I'm saying? Definitely. So you could just imagine that would make for a crazy comic book where she just deflects to Hydra and just 
you know, F's up shield. You get what I'm saying? So, but enough of my number five. What's your number five? Well, my number five goes down to the 70s. And the 1970s were a weird year in comics. Of course, art mm. imitates life always. And that goes with comic books as well, too. You had the black um, exploitation with Luke Cage, the martial art exploitation with Iron Fist. And of course, you had your love of vampires. If anything, vampires <laughs> were oversaturated in the 70s when it came to Dracula, even movies like Blackula. So, <laughs> but we're not going to go into that tour tour. We're going to go into something that came out in 1971. Uh, he made his first appearance in Amazing Spider-Man 101. He is a living vampire, Michael Morbius. Oh, I knew that was coming. I knew he was on your list. I didn't think he was going to be number one, but I knew he was on your list. Though. So... Uh, I love Morbius because of the fact that, like I said, his intentions are are, are purely for the greater good, for, for science, of course. And mm -hmm. in this case, he's just like Peter Parker in a way. He's a brilliant scientist. He wants to see the world in a better place. Kind of like a Kurt Connors where you saw Kurt Connors mess with genes of the lizard trying to regrow his arm back. Yeah. Michael Morbius was going through the same thing for rare blood disease experimenting with the blood from a vampire bat, splicing with his own DNA and becoming a living vampire. What makes him an anti-hero is that with the countless fights with Spider-Man, trying to perfect what Peter did to himself, trying to make himself just like Peter, you know, having that, that mixture of spider genes with humanity mesh so well, he didn't get that. He actually became a vampire sucking on plasma, draining people out for his own necessity just to live. He killed many people, if not knocked out half the people in Manhattan, trying just to survive another day so that way he can fix himself. So yeah, it's a wrong thing to do, but he was trying to survive, and not in a way where he was selfish, just trying to survive in general as a person. You see him really get back to his senses after... He goes to ultra transformation, almost becoming a giant man bat, coming mm -hmm. back to humanity and trying to figure out, okay, I have this gift, this curse. Let me see how I can help the world out. And in that case, he went on different missions with Blade, um, with different people as well, too. Ghost Rider as well, too. Just trying to Brother Voodoo, just trying to Doctor Strange, just trying to... I guess, make amends for all the harm he did in the past. So yeah, there's times where, you know, he just flips out and becomes a vampire, starts killing. Yeah, people like Blade and Ghost Rider to put him on check, but never really put him down because at the end of the day, he's a great ally to have in the Marvel Universe. Not many people could go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Dracula. Michael Morbius can. I, I love this pick. I knew this was one of your picks. I just didn't think it was going to be so early because... I feel like he's a really misunderstood character because, like you said, you know, anti-hero also goes along with how you look. And you see him, this dude is like a freaking vampire, you know? And like you said, he becomes that big man bat. Yes. Stuff, you know, so it, 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 you see him, you think villain automatically, but he is an anti-hero. You know, like you said, he does good for his um, checkered past, which goes along to make him a perfect anti-hero. So I, I have nothing but love for this pick. I never really got into the Morbius character. But because, like you said, vampires were kind of oversaturated at one point, and that's why I never really got into him. But I appreciate what he is and what type of character he is and what he does. So this is an excellent pick. Bro. Oh, and definitely, and I love the yeah. fact that his introduction to the Spider-Man universe was almost a Frankenstein story. I mean, we were exposed mm -hmm. to it 
when we were children watching the Amazing Spider-Man cartoon, you got to see that on the screen where Spider-Man actually becomes like the man spider. So you see him growing extra arms into the point where he actually becomes like a human spider in a way. And you have Michael Morbius fighting alongside Blade and the Punisher to take on this giant man spider. So it was like a gruesome Frankenstein's monster take and you had to have your own Dracula. That's when Michael Morbius came in as that vampire character. But he just became so much more after that. And still to this day, he's one of the most misunderstood characters in the Marvel Universe. Poorly underused. And I feel like if used in the right way, he could be a great, 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 whether villain <laughs> or hero, depending on how you look at it. Where would you like to see him? Hero side, villain side, or you think he's perfect where he's at? You know, as it's, an anti-hero? it's tough because I always felt like Marvel needed their own Justice League dark in a way. Mm. I felt like uh, the people like him, Ghost Rider, Blade, and a couple other people, maybe even Doctor Strange, would make a, a great little little That's group right there. Yeah, just like calling them like the Midnight Crew or something like that. <laughs> and just... Just taking on the forces of evil uh, whenever anything bumps at night. So I think that would be just, you know, an awesome geek out moment for me in general. But due to the fact that there's so many contracts and restrictions and things of that nature, if anything, I would love to see him on the big screen as the next Spider-Man villain along with Kraven the Hunter. So that would be awesome for me, though. That's my personal pick. What about you? Mm. That that that's 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 a good one. I was gonna ask you, do you like to go along with? You said that you feel that like he's misunderstood. Sorry that you know I went back to that question, but do you feel like he's kind of hard to market because it's the vampire gimmick and it's saturated, or he just looks very villainous? You know, you think that could be it, or what do you think it is that he's kind of underutilized? It's different from Marvel because when you look at Marvel, there's so many chaotic villains and powers to be out there in the world that yeah. when you look at vampires. And then you look at a person like Thanos, it's kind of be like, you know what? I'm kind of more scared of Thanos bringing mm -hmm. down a power stone on my head and killing me. <laughs> rather than, you know, looking at Dracula and sucking my blood for a second. But then mm -hmm. again, I always felt like I like street-level villains and heroes. I always felt like the vampire sagas with Dracula and the Marvel Universe with Blade, Ghost Rider, and things of that nature, Mephisto. I always mm -hmm. thought that that's a little nook in the Marvel Universe that they should just keep to the side, never incorporate with the Avengers or whatnot. Just keep to the side and enjoy little stories like that. Because at the end of the day, I don't want to see Ghost Rider or Morbius or Blade in the Avengers. I want to see them have their own chaotic battle on the outskirts, you know, fighting Dormammu, fighting Doctor Strange and B Brother Voodoo and Dracula. That right there turns me on. I love to see that kind of craziness. It's like a gothic soap opera <laughs> happened down there. <laughs> now you see, damn, I wish they would actually incorporate that because now I'm all for that just to see some Dormammu and Doctor Strange going <laughs> hand with Morbius and Ghost Rider. That sounds like an epic chaotic gothic meets. <laughs> Freaking everything all in one, man. That That's actually a good idea, bro. I'm thank not going to lie. That's epic. That's epic. I'll give you that one. Let's go to you, though. Let's go to your number four. My number four. He made his first appearance in August 1975. He is Mark Spector, Moon Knight. <laughs> I had to roll with Moon Knight. You know, I'm a fan of Moon Knight. He definitely could have been higher on my list. But I think he's he's perfect in the spot that I landed him. You know, I like I said... And you will hear me say this a lot in the podcast, you know, uh, 
Antihero is made by a checkered past or traumatic experience. Moon Knight, you know, he is a American Jew born of a rabbi's son. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he became a boxer, but, you know, he transitioned from boxing to the military. And I guess, you know, he just said, this is not for me. So I want to become a mercenary. This is where his past starts getting, you know, checkered and kind of a little suspect. So he becomes a mercenary, you know, and he starts doing all these hits and these jobs and everything, etc. So he gets the mantle of Moon Knight. Why? Because he's in Africa on an excursion in a mercenary mission. And then they stumble upon this ancient temple, you know, in Egypt, I believe it was, or in Africa. Um, they were, yeah, they were digging and they stumbled upon this ancient temple, which the moon... I, I really don't want to butcher this name, but the statue of the Egyptian moon god was in there, you know. Um, Go ahead. <laughs> uh, I don't even know how to begin, but I will try to say it. Um, uh, Kenosu, something like that? Kenosu? Okay. Something like that, yeah. Keep but, it. You know, so he was in there, you know, but one, uh, one of the dudes that was on the excursion with him, I think it was Ra- Rasul Bushman or something like that. I really don't remember the detail, but I'm trying to give, you know, people as much detail as I can for not a lot of people that don't know Moon like that. So that um, African mercenary, of course, he was greedy. So he killed one of the doctors that was on the excursion with them. And then he wanted to take all the goods for himself. So here comes Mark, you know, and he challenges him to a one-on-one scrap. You know, he's like, no, I don't, I don't believe in what you just did, blah, blah, blah. What happens? Long story short, Mark Spector dies. He's left to die in the cold, frigid, you know, um, low temperatures of the desert. But he is brought by Egyptians to the temple, to the moon god, and he dies, actually. There are a lot of people, I don't know if they know, but he dies. And then the moon god comes to him and gives him a second chance. You get what I'm saying? He mm-hmm. says, I will give you a second chance at life if you take the mantle of Moon Knight or whatever and you become my avatar on Earth, you know, and basically exact out, you know, vengeance and stuff. So, you know, that's a checker pass. That's the history. He um, then he takes the mantle of Moon Knight, goes back and, you know, he starts fighting for good. He takes all his money that he had from these mercenary hit jobs and he starts using it for good for him to stack out his vengeance in the name of um you know um the moon god or which i do not want to butcher that name again (laughs) but you get what i'm saying so that's his little checkered past and that's why i feel like he's a great anti-hero where he has he he has a lot of um he's he's compared a lot to batman as well you know like a lot of people see a lot of batman in him um, I also see a little bit of Daredevil. You get what I'm saying, him. Okay. So I, I just like this character because he's a badass, and you know, I feel like he's another perfect anti-hero, misunderstood as well. Oh, definitely. and trying to atone for his mercenary sins and past. You know, Moon Knight was originally on my list. The only reason why mm-hmm. I took him off, though, because I did feel like I was comparing him to Batman a little bit too much, yeah. and. I felt like he was a little too unstable because of the fact that he's schizophrenic. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like that line is really close for him to really just say, just snap and be a villain. And that's it. Like, he's just one bad day away from killing everybody. <laughs> so, like, but the same token, I love the character Moon, Moon Knight. I thought, I thought when I first saw his costume on the comic books in the 90s, I was just amazed. I was like, dude has mad freaking knives, a white outfit. Yeah. You can't see his face. He wants to kill everybody. He's talking to himself all day. He's awesome. Um, I think he's a great pick. He he's somebody that is underutilized in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I do hear that there's in talks of him having his own show in the Netflix series if Disney doesn't acquire those rights first. Yeah, but I don't see Disney using a character like Moon Knight as a schizophrenic billionaire Mm -hmm. killer, uh, bounty hunter, 
they're not going to use that the same way they're not going to use a Daredevil or Jessica Jones. So if that's the case, or a Punisher. So if that's the case, why not have a Moon Knight? You know how bad I want to see a freaking um, Punisher, Moon Knight, little crossover? That would be yeah. intense. That would be crazy right there. That definitely would be freaking intense. And it's like you said, I feel like he's underutilized because of that. Also, another character, I don't want to get into the whole honorable mention thing, but another character that I feel like is miss utilized because of that whole um, mental disease you know it's legion you know yes, what i'm saying definitely. i feel i feel that um people uh, or marvel comics or whatever you want to call it try to stay away from these characters because sometimes i guess it's a subject that hits close to home with a lot of people you get what i'm saying mm-hmm. so that's why i feel like that that's the biggest red flag that moon knight has you know like you said he's a schizophrenic he talks to himself all the time you know yeah. he's like well, he's one bad night away from snapping you know what i'm saying so Definitely. i feel that's his biggest flaw to him but he, he he's freaking awesome man i love moon knight oh yeah so. definitely and you know it's not like a deadpool where it's more for comedic uh timing when you see no, a deadpool no. trying to break the fourth wall and talk to you uh yeah. it's real problems that he's dealing with you exactly know? you know dealing with um mental un- uh, instability is a real thing in the world, like you were saying, like I was saying before, art imitates life. And mm-hmm. I think people do stay away from a person like that character, like that, because if you deep dive way too much into it, hell, you could probably look at yourself and say, damn, who the hell am I writing a character like that? So it's tough. Oh, no, yeah, definitely. That's what I'm saying. So that's why I believe they stay away from him. But definitely, if they were to give him his own series or possibly his own movie, which would be a little bit of a tough pill to swallow for people, yes. you know what I'm saying? Because he is a fucking badass. He's part of my French. And, you know, like you said, schizophrenic. So, you know, he, I feel like he's, uh, 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 how can I say? I don't want to use the comparison of Batman, but let's just use it for this argument's sake. I feel like he's a Batman turned to 10. You get what I'm saying? Up mm-hmm. to 10. So just hostile and violent and stuff like that. So it'll be a tough pill for a lot of people to swallow. But it would definitely be a badass movie. Okay, awesome. I love that. I love yeah. that pick. That's an awesome pick, brother. And what about your number four, man? Well, my number four, I have a Stanley Jack Kirby original, and he's not <laughs> my only one on the list. <laughs> but, you know, he's an OG. Debuted in 1963, was part of the original cast of the X-Men. This man does deal with instability as well, too, whether mm-hmm. what side to really flow and it's not really because of him, it's because of the place that he was put into. This okay. character is Warren Worthington III. He is a.k.a. Angel, <laughs> a.k.a. Archangel. <laughs> I did not see this little coming, bro. Okay. I mean, I kind of saw it, but I don't know. But yeah, like, good pick, great pick. Because of the fact that he started such as a great character, you know, the goody two-shoes of the X-Men that really no one really saw... As a big deal. If anything, he was the Aquaman yeah. of the of the X Men. Oh, what do you do? Fly? That's about it. So <laughs> it's like you know, it wasn't that much of a big deal. He was a butt of many jokes when it came to the X Men original cast as well. Too. It's not until um, when the X Men faced Apocalypse and Apocalypse made him the Angel of Death, stripping down his original wings and making metal freaking mm-hmm. wings that shoot mm-hmm. out just knives at you with a vicious attitude taking down the X-Men, going toe-to-toe with the lights of Wolverine. It is just epic how crazy of a turn one character can make, especially with Warren's case, because, number one, he's a billionaire as well, too. You see a lot of this in the Marvel Universe, a lot of these billion, sophisticated characters. 
really are unstable. They just are looking for one bad day for a push. And I felt like it wasn't the case for Warren to really have that one bad day. It was just he enjoyed his life. He enjoyed being a billionaire. He enjoyed being an out-mutant billionaire. Yeah. At the same token, though, it took for a villain like Apocalypse to strip him down of everything he had and made him this quintessential demon to everybody characterize him as a demon. You look like a demon. Your skin's blue. You look like the devil. You look like a demon flying there, like a gargoyle. So, of course, mm -hmm. he's going to resent society. Society already resented him with his regular wings at first. Now you do have knives, his wings flying in the air, trying to kill people. Of course, you're going to feel some type of way. Even when they defeated Apocalypse, he still remained that archangel persona looking different. In the 90s, it was all about his character, that blue and purple iconic outfit. It's just people remember that, if anything, from Angel. Yeah. That is true. Um, That's the outfit that I remember. And then the craziest part is that he had his own little story arc as well, too, in the late 2000s called the Dark Angel Saga, where he was going to be the next Apocalypse. You know, uh, the, mm -hmm. the characters from the Age of Apocalypse storyline came to the 616 universe and were grooming him, you know, um, going inside his head, trying to unleash the evil remnants that Apocalypse laid in him to be the next big bad. And I, I think that would have been a crazy choice if they went with it. It wasn't to the point where they actually killed Angel to, to stop it or else he would have been a savage angel of death wreaking havoc in the world so yeah he does uh fall into an anti-hero because he's tried his best to kind of submerge that evil within him but the same token it kept on coming out and not by his own right but just by everybody else bringing it out of him and out of him and out of him and out of him and sometimes you can only deal with so much and if yeah. it wasn't for anybody uh, if it wasn't for his death we don't know how far he would have took it no, definitely. This is a great pick because this is a character that I always gravitated to. I never really got too much into him as well, but I always gravitated to him because, like you said, he had that um, that checkered past. Like I said, you know, like somewhat, not really, but somewhat bullied. You get what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So you see him trying to, you know, uh, like kind of find his place. Like, hey, this is why I am. Because I remember it, in the movie, you see him like where he's trying to cut off his wings. You remember? Because he dealt with all that... Um, that word that i'm trying to animosity with. yeah with all that animosity for being how he is like you said you can't accept him with the nice little angelic wings so you know he became a total badass due to apocalypse and i i like this pick this pick is awesome oh yeah uh, and definitely yeah. and you can imagine just and, how somebody with freaking regular angel wings is perceived as different already imagine yeah. someone with freaking metal knife wings coming out to you with blue skin you're gonna automatically say yeah, you, you defeated Apocalypse and helped the X-Men save the world, but at the same time, you still look like a freaking gargoyle. Why am I going to have you in my life? <laughs> Do you think he would have made a, a, a badass Apocalypse? Definitely, definitely. If you look at the um, Age of Apocalypse storyline, the Ultimate Universe, yeah. you have um, Wolverine, who's like the we Weapon X um, character in that time with the one arm and no mask. He mm -hmm. was basically the Apocalypse for a while, and once he fell down... They were grooming the Dark Beast and Dark Nightcrawler. Were grooming Angel to be the next Apocalypse of that world, but not only for their universe, for the Six One Six universe as well too. So when they see so much faith in a character that can just give domination with one little swipe of a wing, that's scary. Yeah, definitely. I would. I would like to see that. Like you said, that would have been dope to read. That that would have been a nice comic book series right there in itself.
But let's go. <laughs> let's go to you. I want to hear your number three. Well, once I got to number three, it started getting a little bit tricky for me. So um, I'm just gonna put them in how I felt the order. My number three. I mean, you may be surprised with this one, but my number three has to be Mister Bucky Barnes, Winter Soldier himself. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. Bucky Barnes, of course, first appeared in the first Captain America, which is in March 1941, mm-hmm. then as that Winter Soldier mantle in January 2005. You know, so once again, like I said, you're going to hear this a lot. Traumatic history, you know, checkered past. You know, he was that goody two-shoe um, to Captain America's little sidekick, as we saw in Captain America 1, you know, the all-American soldier sidekick or whatever. So then, you know, he had that... Um, where him and Captain America died off, you know, not died off, but, you know, they froze off, you know, they were presumed dead. Right. So with this dude being recovered, you know, um, Bucky Barnes got recovered by the Russians. And of course they thought him out and they just put him under this brainwashed traumatic spell, which they use him to, um, how can I say, do uh, these secret special missions for the Russians. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So he was under that brainwashed traumatic spell and that's where you get the villain part of him. But, you know, he's able at one point of, I, don't, I was going to say his career, but in the, you know, at one point in his storyline, he's able to, you see that he shakes off that brainwash, you know, and he's able to come to wits with himself. And then that's when you start seeing him like, okay, you know, I have this, whatever, let me start doing good. You know, he starts doing good, kind of atoning for his past. You see him where he, he feels a little bit bummed out. You get what I'm saying? But he right. really can't beat himself up because he was under a, a spell, I guess you could say, or whatever, like a brainwash. So, you know, so you see him and I feel like, once again, that past, he's perfect. Uh, a villain, you know, as a Winter Soldier, he started off as a villain, but then as a Winter Soldier, you see him working with Captain America and stuff like that. And he starts atoning for his past. And um, I don't know if a lot of people know, he even did have the mantle of Captain America at one point. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in that storyline, it was in that storyline as well as Fear Itself, I think it was. Yep. Um, Fear Itself, yeah. So he had the um, Captain America mantle <clears throat> for a little bit. So I feel if anybody is like that good hero, villain, anti-hero, I feel like Bucky Barnes is, is perfect because he goes from this villainous badass, you know, with a cybernetic arm working for the Russians under a spell to just this cool American hero once again for Captain America. And he even becomes Captain America at one point. Dude, <clears throat> number one, yeah. I thought this was going to be your number one. Okay? <laughs> I know how much you love Bucky to begin with. Yeah. I know that you were heartbroken when you saw him almost die. Well, basically, he almost died in the Fear of Self storyline. Yeah. I know you were just totally shocked seeing that because, rightfully so, Bucky finally took the mantle as Captain America. And, mm-hmm. and in his own right, he was a great Captain America as well, too. He was, um, he was. He's a great villain as a Winter Soldier, and he had that awesome miniseries after Fear Self with um, Black Widow in that yeah. Winter Soldier miniseries they had as well, mm-hmm. too. So, you know, he's such a prolific character. There's so many ways you can go with him. He still has that sleeper cell, KGB, you know, switch yeah. that if you mention one thing, Hail Hydra <laughs> could probably come out. So it's like there's so many dualities you can work with this character. You know, did you like his portrayal in the movie? I mean, I I, I did enjoy it, you know, but like, I mean, I I did enjoy it. And I also enjoyed the aspect that like not a lot of people knew about Bucky. Right. And you remember when you first, when people first saw him in the trailers, who the is that, you know? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, that's Bucky, you know, like, that's Winter Soldier. So I, 
I mean, he was pretty. I, I like how he was portrayed in the movie. I really don't have a you know uh, a problem with it. I just got mad as hell when freaking this dude Unibeam this cybernetic arm off. Like. Yeah, that was tough. But I did <laughs> yeah. like the fact that you see Bucky using the shield and beating up um, Tony Stark with the Captain America shield. With the Captain America shield, yeah, maybe shows you, you know, exactly foreshadowing the future, brother. Yeah, foreshadowing the future exactly where he takes up the mantle, which would be freaking awesome. Like that, that would definitely be dope. I mean, as far as for the movie portrayal, I don't have a problem because you know, like you said, you see. And, and um and which one? Oh my god, I, I got my um my timeline mixed up. It was in um yeah. Civil War where he gets abducted again and this dude yeah. puts him under the spell. Yeah. Or whatever. Like you say, he's one KGB spell away to flip out. So, you know, like I feel like it, it, it they did him well. They did him justice. So in the cinematic universe he has his place right about now. How do you feel he's viewed upon in the comic book industry? Do you feel like he's someone that can carry a series? That can carry his own group or be in a group, or do you think he better works in a solo series, in a spy espionage series by himself, or maybe with one or two heads? Yeah, I mean, in the comic book universe, I feel like he's definitely super underutilized because you have this epic character, and that now you have more eyes on this character just due to your movies. You get what I'm saying? This right. is not this is not based on comic books, it's just based to your movies. So if you take this popularity that he got, because you know that he became super popular from the movies, you know? So if they were to take this popularity and carry it over into a comic book, with the popularity that he has, he could be a standoff alone series by himself. But I feel that with a supporting cast, you know, maybe inject a Black Widow in there or something like Mm -hmm. that, you know, it definitely would be better for him to stand alone. I love the character, but I feel that maybe he he won't be able to carry a whole series alone by himself. Okay, I didn't get to ask you this part, but I'm going to bring yeah. it to you now. How did you feel about um, Scarlett Johansson's portrayal of Black Widow? Do you think they should have cast somebody else a little bit more authentic to the Russian persona? Or do you think now, a couple, like almost like six or seven movies into it, do you think she fits well? Well, I mean, I, I always viewed that as um, kind of like, I always viewed that. I mean, it's cool because it, it grew on people. You get what I'm saying? It right. grew on me. It grew on people. I don't see it as a problem now because it grew on us and it grew on me. But at first, I always had that little um, conflict. Like, um, I'm just going to stray off topic real quick. But it was like, um, you know, the Street Fighter movie. They picked Van Damme to play a blue-blooded American guy, <laughs> you know, freaking G.I. Joe soldier. I felt like that at first. I was like, okay, maybe you should have, you know, stuck true to to the mother Rasha, you know, even gave her an accent and stuff like that, you know. Right. Made, made her, you know. So, at first, I did have an issue with it, but then it definitely grew on me. So, now I just see her like, eh, whatever, I don't have an issue. Did it, did it grow on you or did it conflict or what? It still conflicts with me a little bit. I feel, <clears throat> I would love to see, you know, I only got that, that, that Russian accent in, um, it was it either Civil War or, it was, or, no, it wasn't Civil War. I think it was, no, no, it was either Winter Soldier or the original Avengers, where she's in that cherished scene and she's just beating up the other Russians with the Russian accent. That's awesome. It's cool that she could pull that off. It would have been nice if she does that more often. But the same token, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm back to the point, just like you, I'm used to it, but it still bothers me a little bit because at the end of the day, you know, it sounds more badass with that Russian accent. Oh, definitely, definitely. That that would be freaking badass, you know. Like, And sometimes... I mean, I, I, I would like to see that, you know, just to hear that heavy Russian accent, you know, like that would be epic. But I know we're not going to get it at this late of the stage, you know, in the game, you know. Cause I mean, that's... that's how I feel about Magneto, bro. I feel like Magneto, I, I, <laughs> I love the fact that everybody, you know, portrays um, 
for, for I guess, an American or English accent. But at the mm-hmm. end of the day, I do want to hear that bit of German in him. And oh, yeah, definitely. I think Fassbender in the last X-Men movie, when you see him in Germany just chilling out with his little small family, and he's, mm-hmm. he's speaking German as well, too, it, it, yeah. it feels so well. And then he has a little bit in his accent, in his American accent, that you just hear it. I'm like, yeah. okay, I could deal with that. But even if it's the hint, I would like to see that portrayed a little bit better. Just Because in my mind, that's how Magneto talks. He doesn't talk like a Brit. He doesn't talk like an American. You have oh, to no, have yeah. that glimmer of like old school Jewish German culture. Yeah. Oh no, definitely. And it's like we were talking about the other day with the whole Doctor Strange that we were talking about the movie. Yeah. You know, with the whole accent that you felt like, oh, I wanted my Doctor Strange casting spells, you know, in in his accent. Dude is British, man. (laughs) Cumberbatch has the best British accent to begin with. Why take that away from him? (laughs) No, definitely. I don't, I, why, why do you feel like they do that? I want to ask you that. Why do you feel like they do that, that they take away this essence from what the character really is to give him, like, an American accent? What do you think? Why do they do that? Maybe to humanize him. Maybe you're trying to make him more American as well, too. I, I guess yeah. in, in the comic books or in video games, it sounds a little hokey. So yeah. when you look at his character, yeah, he's a surgeon from, you know, the United States, from New York as well, too. So, yeah, I could see, I could see that. But at the same time, I don't know. You could have put your own spin on him. He could have been an exchange student from Europe, working in New mm-hmm. York City, uh, became a doctor. He's a world-renowned surgeon. He kept his accent. I would have been happy with that as well, too. Just so I can hear anything by the hordes of Horus. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. by, by the hordes of Horus. Something <laughs> <like>. <laughs> that was like an Irish out. one. <laughs> that was, right? Yo, don't make me... <laughs> don't make me... <laughs> Don't make me feel like Paul Rudd here. Yeah. Like the whole slap in the beard. <laughs> like, like <laughs> but, but yeah, that, that was a horrible attempt at that. But definitely, though, I feel like it, it, I agree with what you say. Maybe it's just to, you know, like um, Americanize them so the American, um, you know, viewership feels more homey with this character. You know, like, hey, he's one of us. We have an easy chance to understand him, you know. So I, I definitely feel with that. But like I said, um, Winter Soldier, yeah, man, I, 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 I love this dude, and I would like to see him be definitely utilized more in the comic universe. What do you think? No, definitely, definitely. I feel like, um, if anything, I feel that the spy espionage thrillers and comic books are not there anymore. Mm-hmm. Just so I feel like people pass by vampires and things of that nature. I feel like the days of an old good spy book are not there. And I think you can really sink your teeth into it with a character like Winter Soldier, Black Widow as well, too. Even a Nick Fury those comic books are what started, you know, the Marvel Universe at first. S.H.I.E.L.D. was his own comic book. Nick Fury was his own comic book at first, doing little James Bond kind of um, adventures. So I could see, not as far as a James Bond adventure, but, you know, just as this is a spy thriller. You know, especially in a day and age where you look at today's climate with the Russian and American war of words happening these oh, days. Oh, yeah, exactly. You can yeah. flip characters left and right. Hell, they mm-hmm. did it with freaking Captain America just now. Why not just do it with Bucky and have that duality? Will he, won't he turn? Well, you know, definitely. And that, that could go along with what we were saying a minute ago with um, Black Widow. You know, imagine she was to turn, you know, become full Hydra. That, that would yeah. be epic. Definitely. So, but what about your number three, man? What's going on over there? So, we were talking about people who have checkered pasts. Mm-hmm. and just uh, full of necessity, everything has been wrong for them. Looking mm-hmm. at a person who has a checkered past because he was time-traveling as a baby <laughs> and then was told that he is 
the the guardian of the Messiah in a way, and having to feel that he has to protect the Messiah in a way through jumping through time, battling heroes, battling villains, because he feels that this right here could be the savior of the entire mutant race. My mm-hmm. number three is the birth child of Scott Summers and the clone of Jean Grey. He is a time-traveling mutant. He has a nano-organic arm. <laughs> he has a beautiful glazer eye going on, and he <laughs> loves babies. My dude <laughs> is Nathan Summers, a.k.a. Cable. Oh, great pick, bro. Great pick. I'm not even mad about this one because I love me some Cable as well, bro. He's exactly. a badass. And then, you know, coming to together by Chris, uh, Chris Claremont back in the 1986, he was a character that was very mysterious at first, battling mm-hmm. the likes of the X-Men at first as well, too, warning them of the future, of a future apocalyptic nightmare that you should stay away from and the actions that you're doing because we know the X-Men, they love time traveling. They're worse than Barry Allen. They love messing <laughs> with the time loop. So the space-time continuum, they need to stop it. They keep on doing it until today as well too. So Definitely. you have characters like Cable, like Bishop, trying to stop this. And then to the point where they're like, you know what, we really can't stop it. We're just going to try to stop the craziness that you're bringing upon the world, whether it be the future or the past. So the fact that you have a person like Cable challenging authority also makes me feel like he's a great anti-hero because he doesn't just lay down because of the fact that the good guys are telling him to stop. No, he's taking down the good guys because, yo, you're going to be messing up the future in about four or five years. This is what you need to stop. You know, there's been plenty of times where he's went toe-to-toe with Cyclops, Wolverine, you know, challenging Professor X on his ideas as well, too. And like I was saying before, he is the person that was given hope and not just hope in general uh, as like a metaphor, but actually the baby hope as well, too, which was the first mutant that was born after Scarlet Witch said no more mutants. So in that case, he saw this baby mutant was given to him by once again, his father Cyclops to take with him and protect in the future because everybody's out for this little girl. Whether it be good intentions or bad intentions, they're going to be seeking something to, to do something to this little girl since she's a firstborn mutant in a long, long, long time. So you have him as a protector in the future, being a father figure, taking down threats as well as raising a little girl. And at the same token, coming back into present day with a teenager and everybody having all eyes on her because she's almost the reincarnation of Jean Grey, but not in her regular form, in Phoenix form. So already you have the Avengers scared at this little girl. You have the X-Men looking at her as like the Messiah of all mutants. So you have this whole complex, which they led to Avengers versus X-Men, in which Cable was battling not only X-Men characters, also Avengers. He took down Captain America, protecting Hope. He took down the Red Hulk after protecting Hope as well, too, trying mm-hmm. to capture her. So, number one, one, he's a badass for going toe-to-toe against the United States Captain America. So, you look <laughs> at that right there. I mean, if that's not anti-hero enough, you're punching America in the face. I don't know who, who the hell is badass around here. That man's Cable. No, yeah, definitely Cable. Yeah, Cable's a badass. And what what he stands for, that just makes him the perfect hero. You get what I'm saying? That definitely. Traveling from time, protecting the baby, the baby, you know, he's protecting the baby and saying like, hey, warning, you guys are going to mess up, you know, so this is it. And then you see, I guess, that villainous anti-hero where he fights the authority, where he fights the X-Men, like you say, just to 
uh, um, stand up for what he believes. You know, like sometimes you got to employ methods which are questionable. That's what makes him anti-heroes. And the fact that he fought his own father, you know, it, it makes it questionable. But this is definitely a great pick, bro. I love this pick, man. And he definitely did make a freaking badass character in Marvel vs. Capcom. <laughs> oh, definitely. He's one of my favorite characters in Marvel vs. Capcom. But not even, even that. You look at a person like Cable, he still even has a checker pass even with that. He had a great run with Deadpool, being a mercenary with Deadpool. Mm-hmm. And just having days of being a bounty hunter as well, too. Being like a hired gun. Literally a hired gun with Deadpool. Definitely. You know, being the... um. The quiet, covert operation, X-Force as well, too, led by Cyclops as well, too. So it's like he's a guy that does all the dirty work for the X-Men, present day and the future. He gets the job done. And only as always, too, he has a the, sometimes the, the most hardest dude in the world, the, the, the craziest dudes in the world have the biggest hearts. And you see that father mentor relationship of hope. It's just crazy. That, that gets you right in the fields as, a, as, as me, as a single dad, protecting that loved one. While everybody else is at your odds, yeah, that's awesome in my opinion. No, I agree with you. So, I mean, I, 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 how, how do you feel like with the whole, you know, because when you think Cable, I think Bishop. How do you, how do you, you know, like I feel like they go hand in hand. Oh yeah, that's the yin yeah. yang right there. Those, those are the yin yang twins. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> those are my dudes right there. I always found that Bishop didn't have as much layers that Cable yeah. has, being that, you know, he's the son of Cyclops. But the same mm. token, though, you know, uh, Bishop, also a time-traveling mutant as well, too, trying to stop the acts of what the X-Men are doing in the past to kind of set back the future again. There's been many times where Cable and Bishop have been at odds because they both stand for certain things. At the same time, mm. though, they both are teammates trying to do the better good for not only mutant kind, but humanity as a whole. So... I always mm-hmm. felt like they're just they're the they make the best bromance in a way, but always <laughs> you know if I could see a, a a movie with Bishop Cable and Deadpool, I think I probably shit my pants, you know, because yeah. it'd just be too crazy. You have you know, and we're gonna see Cable played by Josh Brolin next year in a Deadpool two movie, and that's crazy because you have the man playing Thanos now playing freaking De- um, mm. um Cable. So okay. look at that, that's crazy in, in that aspect. Yeah, definitely. That's epic. I can't wait for that, man. That's going to be freaking crazy. Mm-hmm. Well, tell me something. What do you feel about Cable? What what draws you to Cable the most? Uh, what draws me to Cable the most? I just love, like you said, he's this time-traveling badass. You know, when it comes to things of that nature, like, I'm all immediately drawn by it. And then the fact that he's, like you said, he's this, he's this badass anti-hero, but he's standing up for what he believes and protecting this baby, which makes him, it gives, gives me, gives me, my opinion, gives him this, um, little, you know, soft teddy bear size. Yep. You get what I'm saying? Yep. Cause yep. he's this epic dude with a, you know, metallic armor, whatever gun wielding, you know, but at the same time, he's, uh, has this baby that he cares for. So it gives him that lovable side that, you know, you're just not, I mean, you are a badass, but, you know, you have your little soft side to you, even though he's doing it because, you know, what it stands for, you know, that he's protecting it. But I like that it gives him that um, that human side to him, that compassion, that nurturing, you know. I, I That's what I like about the character, that he's able to be a badass, but with me, that side comes out protecting that baby. Definitely. Like, that's how I feel about him. But go ahead, sir. Give me your number dose. My number deuce. All right. Well, I mean, 
I think you probably would have thought this also could have been my number one, but I didn't put it number one because before him, I had another anti-hero that I love. So my number two is, I won't even begin to pronounce his name. We were just talking about him. It's Mr. Magneto himself. Max Essienhardt. I can't even pronounce his name. <laughs> so I, I just gave him my, my best shot. I apologize. You know, so it has to be Magneto, my number two. You know he would have been my number one. You know I love this character. I thought he was going to be your number yeah. one. But go ahead. I yeah. want to hear this. I, I freaking love Magneto. He first appeared in the first X-Men, September 1963. And Magneto is like one of the most checkered past most uh misunderstood characters because at the end of the day you know this dude went through trials of the whole holocaust and nazis rising to power you know um all the discrimination he suffered due to his powers and stuff like that his um family being killed and the the the, the camps or whatever by the fire he survived somehow could have been due to his powers you know so this dude has had it rough growing up you get what i'm saying so that's a a great story right there for an anti-hero then you know he because at the end of the day when you look at magneto he wants to fight for the greater good which is the mutant cause he wants to fight for that race you know this is what we are i love this i want to protect this you know so he has, you know, been on both sides of the spectrum. He has fought with his best buddy, Professor Xavier, you know, for that greater good of the X-Men. Then we mm-hmm. have seen him being a villain and stuff like that. So I feel this dude is, you know, uh, a perfect anti-hero in my book. And I have none but love for him. Uh, I mean, I, I, I can go on with, with how freaking amazing he is. And I feel like he just gets more of a villainous act because, you know, he has had a little bit more villainy, but if you really dive into Magneto and they said it in the movies, you know, it's just he he's, you know, fighting for for the mutants, for the greater good, you know. So that's his 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 cause at the end of the day, the, the mutants, the greater good. No, definitely. Might I add, he is like the buffest 95-year-old <laughs> I have ever seen. As we get into comics now, we're in like 2017, not too sure where we're at in comic years. Sometimes they like yeah. to play off it's like right now in this age. Sometimes they look at it like it's 40 years in comic book land. So it's hard to judge that timeline sometimes. You just got to, I guess, look off into the sunset and say it's just comics. It's just comics. Leave it alone. But, <laughs> you know, just to say, the dude, you know, being in 2017 and being a Holocaust survivor as well, too, looking <laughs> mighty good. Just saying that. That's that mutant ability, man. That's that power of magnetism. <laughs> a monkey. <laughs> <laughs> but I always liked this about Magneto. And he was going to be in my list, but I really didn't include him. Why? Because I wanted to hear you speak about him, honestly. Yeah. That was my main reason. But mm-hmm. I love the fact that you look at Professor Xavier and you look at uh, Magneto and you look at them together and look at today's society. Because after all, X-Men as I keep on saying in this podcast, art imitates life, you're looking at the X-Men, they were an answer to the civil rights movement at the time. Yeah, Mm -hmm. they couldn't put um, African-American characters in comic books, so what do we do? We're going to use these characters who have abilities, whether they uh, represent the gay culture, whether they represent black culture, whether they represent Hispanic culture. We're going to use these as like symbolism to what's going on right now in society. So... When you look at Xavier, you think of almost like a Martin Luther King character, you know, promoting mm-hmm. love yeah. and promoting harmony and promoting protesting and doing the right way um, 
and doing it by no means, you know, no force necessary. And you look at, to some extent, but, you know, Xavier did create the X-Men. Um, and then you look at Magneto as more the Malcolm X character, more righteous, um, standing up for the rights of, your, of you, what you are, what your species is. And I mm-hmm. always admired that from Magneto because his morals are not wrong whatsoever. His people are being for persecuted. They're being hunted down, you know, every day. They're being looked upon as less than grass, less than dirt. And you can look at parallels between um, Black and Hispanic society and know how that feels to be less than human and look frowned upon society. So he's just a great answer to what America in general was going through at the time as well, too. So you see where his motives lie. Does he do it in a a little bit of a righteous way? Yeah, of course he does. Mm -hmm. His motives are are dastardly. He wants to destroy humanity itself, or he wants to convert humanity into mutinism in a way as well, too. So he's very radical. He's like, you know, a Joel Olstein meets um, a Malcolm (laughs) X. It's crazy. You know, he's too uh, fanatic in his his acts. But at the same time, though, you know, he's such a positive role model in the mutant community because... Look at him. This is the guy who stands up to everything and is for the, the common man, the, the lower mutant. You mm-hmm. see his ragtag. They're not like the most highest ranked mutants. He has people like Toad on his team, you know, but he gravitates to those kind of mutants that are ones that are saying like, you know mm-hmm. what? I have a, a tongue ability. What am I? You're special in my eyes. You know, yeah, I can exactly. use you for the greater good, whether that be uh, a dastardly act of killing a human being or protesting what my methods are. You know, Magneto is such a, a iconic character for X-Men culture. Like, he is, um, if there was a whole fame for comics, he'd be at least top five. Yeah, he definitely would be. And that's why I love him, because like you said, and, you know, he stands up for the greater good for his people, as anybody would, you know, in any culture, in any society. I want to stand up for my people. So I'm going to get my methods, you know, whether it's righteous or, you know, peaceful, you want to get it across. So... You know, he he just gets him across real righteous. So I love him for this. And like I said, he he's one of my favorite characters. Just just a little geek question to me, to you, just for the podcast and stuff and just to geek out. Do you feel it really hasn't been stated, but I'm not sure if it hasn't been stated. But do you feel that Magneto is a Omega level mutant or do you think they just keep it under wraps? Oh, it's stated. He is Omega level mutant. Um, okay. There's uh, quite a bit of mutants that have that Omega rank and I yeah. never really agree with, but I could see now, but Magneto was never a question. You know, people it, like Iceman are Omega level mutants. Th- that's what I was about to ask you. I questioned Iceman, but I'm assuming you would like that. Don't you like that? Because I know you're Iceman fan. I right? love Bobby Drake. I think Iceman yeah. is a great character, but I never saw him as like, you know, okay, you're gonna, level. you're gonna freeze the entire Earth. I doubt you're gonna do that. Yeah, I know the Earth is ninety percent water or eighty percent water. Excuse me, but at the same token, I never saw Iceman as a person that just dipped his pinky into all uh, the Atlantic Ocean and it's all frozen for <laughs> space and time. No, that doesn't happen. But Magneto can actually bend the axis of the Earth. And so axis, yeah. He can actually take a space metal from uh, like an asteroid or a comet and hurl it to Earth. His freaking home base at first was an asteroid. There's, you know, there's, there's so much mystique, uh, you know, no pun intended, with Magneto that it's yeah. just crazy to, to not rank him as an Omega level. Omega, yeah, exactly. Because I think even at one point, um, 
in the comics, um, I think um, what was what was this um character's name that he started off with in the movies? Frost, Emma Frost, something like that. Yeah, yeah, that Emma Frost there too. Yeah, I think I think that she was trying to read his mind at one point, and she couldn't, you know, because like he he was blocking her out and stuff. So, like you know, Scott Summers was like, "Oh my God, impossible!" You get what I'm saying? Well, so, you like, know, he is uh, him and Xavier are best friends. You yeah. know, Maximoff and and Xavier grew up through the hardest times in the Holocaust as well, too, mm-hmm. coming together, looking at what humanity did to each other in that war, war two, seeing mm-hmm. that humanity itself can't coexist with each other. How can they coexist with mutant kind? They mutant always kind, yeah. had that dynamic of a yin and yang. You were saying with a cable and bishop, they're definitely yeah. the yin and yang together. You know, they don't hate each other. If anything, they're best friends for life. They're legit BFF. Forever, yeah. but do they resent each other for their method methods? Kind of. At the same mm-hmm. time, though, they both see each other as redeemable. Maybe I'll get Charles on my side. Maybe I'll get Eric on my side. We don't know, and that always plays out so well. Yeah. It makes such interesting writing. Um, my question to you, and it's like a little nerdy uh. question on my end. Do you feel that he was a good inclusion when they rebranded the X Men and put him part of the X Men? Uh, I mean, it, yes and no, because, you know, I, I, it, it, it was cool. It gave him that hero gimmick, you know, but right. I, I just feel that, you know, and then we saw him working along with the X-Men and Xavier and all that stuff. But I just, I'm going to have to side more with the anti part in here. I like seeing Magneto as that standoff alone, that badass by himself. You get what I'm saying? I felt like it was kind of dumbed down a little bit. In my eyes, in my eyes, in my opinions, you know, I don't like to see him really in a group. I like to see him as that standalone badass. You know what I'm saying? So no, definitely. It it was kind of cool, but at the same token, I really didn't gravitate to it because to me, Magneto is such a prominent character, such a strong character that he just has to be by himself. You get what I'm saying? Like, I don't feel he should. It's either him by himself or with Xavier. That's it. Just them two. You get what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. I don't know. How'd you feel about that? I'll touch on that later. I promise okay. you that. All right, definitely. I will be waiting for that. So what about your number two, man? My number two kind of mirrors yours in a way. Someone mm-hmm. um, who looks at society and culture and what the world does to what he represents and is just so angry with, with society and just the lack of uh, taking care of, number one, your own people, but the environment as well, too. Um, this character is one of Marvel's oldest characters, debuting in 1939. Oh my God! You went back in the woodworks. Definitely, definitely, but still prolific <laughs> to today. You know, he started up in the the literal the literal funnies in the newspapers, but yeah. he has been so iconic with the likes of the Fantastic Four, with the Avengers, and uh, now to this day, he is labeled as a mutant as well too. This character is what a lot of people look at Aquaman and say. You know what? I really wish you had that intensity. This character is Namor the Submariner. <laughs> oh, Namor. Yeah, I didn't think he was going to be on your list, honestly. This one, this one was surprising. I didn't think he would be on your list. I love Namor. I, he's always yeah. been a secret love of mine because of the fact that what he represents, just like Eric, Eric just like Magneto, he, he comes from a, a time where he's seen man go through so many world wars, so many tragedies yeah. that he doesn't even want his people, the Atlanteans, to even go to the surface because he sees mm-hmm. what what humanity does to things that are different, whether it's color, whether it's creed, whether it's religion. Um, if you're doing that to your own species, what will you do to mine? 
And you always had this resentment, especially with the environment as well, too, polluting the waters. You know, Namor has always been, you know, um, an activist of what's wrong with the world today, polluting our in our waters. You know, 80% of the world is uh, full of water, so he controls the seven seas. And when you have a character that can literally make a tidal wave and destroy a city if you wanted to, it's just it's so crazy if you want to take a character like this off. He was original villain for the Fantastic Four and then came to the point where he was just tag teaming with them, taking on the lights of Galactus in a way, or the Silver Surfer. You know, he became um, a, a villain to the Avengers at one point as well, too, going into the seas, saying, stay out of my seas because this is where I take care of. You take care of the land. If you have a war, that's no problem. Don't bring your wars to my oceans. And he went mm-hmm. toe-to-toe against the likes of Captain America as well, too. So you look at that diversity of always having true to his morals, too, true to what he believes in as well, too. Even though he's righteous in his own right, he will kill a person if you cross him. He, he's always a proud person. You know what? It, it might go off topic. He always reminded me of a Vegeta character from Dragon Ball Z. Just a mm-hmm. proud Satan in a way, a proud Atlantean. That, that sees his people first. He's a greater species. Um, and no one can compare to him. He has that, that regal pride. Even till t- t- today, that hasn't changed. His foundation has never been rocked. And now, looking at um, the, the, the scope of comics, it's not until the last 10 years where he's been labeled as a mutant now. Um, and joined the likes of the X-Men. Um, whether my thoughts and opinions about should he be part of the X-Men will go into my, 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 my number one pick. I have my views and opinions about that, but seeing him as a villain to the X-Men at first and then being part of that team as well, too, was a nice little addition to his character development. But always, just being a part of a team that stands up against diver- uh, you know, the, the lack of diversity in the world and trials and tribulations of taking down somebody, whether it be from the way they look or their creed or orientation... Someone who stands up for that has always been a great character. That's why I always see that parallel between him and Magneto because they, mm-hmm. they go hand in hand. If anything, he's like the Magneto of the sea. And I'm sorry for those Magneto fans out there if I'm giving way too much love to Namor, but you have to read the mm-hmm. comics going back to 1940s looking at this dude could freaking take you down worse than Aquaman could take you down. And I love Aquaman. Aquaman is one of my favorite characters of all time. But this is Aquaman with a Magneto personality. Think about that, people. Think about that. Yeah, no, and it's like you said, um, even at times in his little universe, you see him that he teams up with Magneto. Sometimes they're friends, sometimes they're enemies. You know, yep. you saw that in his in his storyline, and that's kind of cool as well, you know, that you have these two people that stand up for their people, and they can be enemies, but they can, you know, put that aside and be like, okay, you have the same morals as me and that same mentality, so we can be, you know, allies. And this is a excellent pick, like you said, in the sense of he stands up for his people. You know, like you said, um, comic books, you know, translate to real life. Real life translates to comic books. You know, it, it shows everything from persecutions, you know, like you said, race, color, whatever it is, you know, disabilities, you know, stuff like that. Definitely. So it's um, it's real. Um, How can you say um, welcoming, warming to see that, you know, like these characters you know went through these little uh prejudice things and stuff like that and they stand up for what they believe and they're righteous and strong so it's like you said if people sit here and don't say no i really can't see the comparisons between both of them then they're just blind but you see both of them one is for the mutants and one is for the atlanteans that they stand up for what they believe and it's a great pick as well and can i say my man's a hunk all right he got abs of steel number one 
coming down with a little bit of speedo out the water saying what's up people looking like a legolas out the water with them ears but the same token though this is the only man in the marvel universe besides tony stark that can go up to sue storm and say yeah i could take you that could go up to miss marvel yeah i could take you going up Mm -hmm. to freaking uh emma frost in a strong way and almost yes definitely taking her uh, I won't go too into that. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, this guy is Pip Juice Daddy right now to see. So you got to love him for that alone right there. Yeah, that swag right. is just oh, unlimited swag. Rolling up with those Speedos in the trident, you know, just like, <laughs> hey, baby. But no, so since you like, oh, I'm just going to give you, I'm going to put you on the spot real quick. I know you love both characters. Who would you roll with, Neymar or Aquaman? Uh, Who would you roll with? How am I rolling? Like having a beer or just like going to fight? Mm, okay, let's 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 put that those two questions. You gotta have a beer with one, and then you gotta roll with one to help you fight. Um, Aquaman both times. Aquaman both times. Um, number one, I feel like me and Aquaman will have a funny time having a beer. Mm-hmm. I feel Namor would be stiff co- uh, conversation. It would just be yeah. like him staring me down because I couldn't finish my beer in three point three seconds. <laughs> so he probably punched me because of that, and I won't take him in a fight because I feel like he always has ulterior motives as well too. I feel like mm-hmm. he's only in it for himself sometimes. So he mm-hmm. might go into a fight, but he also might take my wallet out of my pocket. So it's tough. Yeah, well, you're not feel... looking. Exactly. <laughs> Aquaman, you know, that's my bro-man right there. Aquaman, especially in the new Justice League movie, that's bro-man Aquaman right there. My man. Yeah. My dude. <laughs> you know? You know? Yeah, that's, that's beefy Aquaman. I don't know who's beefier. <laughs> the name right now. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Do you see comparisons way too much between him and Aquaman just because of the water abilities? Or do you feel like these characters kind of stand on their own two feet without being compared? I feel like they stand on their own two feet just because how you say um, Neymar has ulterior motives at the end of the day. You know, he can be that guy. Well, okay, I'm going to battle with you, but while you're not looking, I'm going to trip you. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. So as Aquaman is... You know, he has that little badass to him, but he's full-fledged hero. You get what I'm saying? Exactly. So he's a goody-two-shoe. So that's why I feel like they both stand along by themselves. You know, Aquaman being a goody-two-shoe, Neymar being good, but, you know, I'll have to trip you if I have to get the upper hand. You get what oh, I'm saying? Definitely. So do, do you feel that way as well? Oh, like definitely. Up alone? The only time I ever felt like they were similar was when we saw that uh, alternate storyline with um, the Flashpoint saga. Mm-hmm. Where you saw Aquaman actually make that mm-hmm. heel turn away and being yeah. like the destroyer of Atlantis and the world, mm-hmm. marrying Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman beheading Mira. Oh, you know, it was God. just such a great comic book that series. Was, that was. I, I'm surprised that that didn't continue. A lot, of, a lot of those um, Flashpoint series, man, they should have continued. Like I, that one was freaking epic. I was looking for. Sorry to get off topic, but I'm ranting. I was looking forward to the Grod. The Grod could have kept going. That freaking comic book series was epic. And as well as um, which one was it? The 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 one was it Wonder Boy or the Superman when he was all puny and something yeah. like that? Superboy yep. or something? Yeah, like those those could have just kept going, man. I don't know. Those are epic. Maybe we can do that one sometime in the future. Oh. Alternate DC timelines or alternate DC characters. Okay. <laughs> I already have my number one. I'm not <laughs> put your boy Thomas Wayne. <laughs> Shut up. We'll leave that for another day. Get those Wayne casinos up there. But All right, yeah. speaking about jackpots, I mm. want to hear your number one. My number one. So before Mac, the love that I have for Magneto nowadays, before I have the love that I had for Winter Soldier, there was this one badass anti-hero that i had love for and i remember 
you remember me running around in the hood with that red hoodie, mm-hmm. black and red hoodie. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. I don't want to give it away, but I used to be wearing that hoodie 24-7. So he made his appearance in The Amazing Spider-Man in February 1974. And it is the one and only Shocker. Mr. Badass himself. <laughs> <laughs> Leave me alone. It is the badass himself, Mr. Frank Castle, a.k.a. The Punisher. Hell yeah. I had to put him number one because he is... You, you know, before all these anti-heroes, that's the anti-hero that I love. Freaking Punisher. Like I said, what... What does it mean to be an anti-hero? This guy is the embodiment of an anti-hero. You get what I'm saying? He was a lawman. You know, he, he turned into a fuck. Look, I'm getting so excited. I was about to start cursing. You know, <laughs> he turned into a vigilante. You get what I'm saying? Was a lawman for the right side of the badge. Then he just turned into this vigilante. Sketcher, uh, sketchy past, you know. Um, his family was murdered. His wife, his kids. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That sends the man's off the rail. Any man will go off the rails. You get what I'm saying? His family, they witnessed the murder from the mob, you know, so the mob put out a hit on him and they killed him, you know, so then he just went off the rails. He said, forget the law. I am waging a one-man war against every criminal and every mobster that I know of. And what makes him an anti, uh, anti-hero is that we said, you know, they use methods that are not heroy. So, I mean, this dude, ah, uh, you know, what does he resort to? Extortion murder violence torture um uh, anything you know to get his point across and exact his revenge for that traumatic experience in his life you know he he's just perfect bro badass like i said freaking packing guns to the teeth man just everything i i love everything what this character stands for and i love everything that he is and he was that first badass in my eyes that made me love anti-heroes you know and I had the hoodie, you know, we had friends that had little action figures, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So he's such a badass in every terms. That's why he had to be my number one anti-hero. He also, like I said, sketched past. He has a traumatic history. His family was off. So, you know, he just went off the rails and is a badass one-man war waged against mobsters. And he does it with by any means necessary. He doesn't care how he gets the job done. I had to go with Punisher, bro. I don't know. Balls to the wall. Guns yeah. blazing. Bazooka wielding, aka (laughs) flinging, knives throwing, (laughs) knives bigger than Crocodile Dundee. So many freaking zippers and patches all over his uniform. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, rocking a bandana sometimes. Frank Castle is the epitome of what the American man should be. (laughs) And that's that's the truth. Especially in today's society. Where's my guns? Frank Castle got all your guns. Mm -hmm. You know, that dude is literally a walking war. That's all he is. He lives, breathes, and dies, in some cases, war. (laughs) You know, if you look at freaking um, the Marvel zombie um, crossover where... Everybody in the Marvel Universe became zombies in a way. Frank Castle did it, and Frank Castle <laughs> got to kill everybody in the Marvel <laughs> yeah. Universe. Exactly. Not many people can have that acclaim. Mm-hmm. Not, yeah, not many people have that to the name of Frank Castle does, which makes him even more of a badass. Bro. It does, it does. He's yeah. such an iconic character of just what the anti-hero should be. He is the Stone Cold Steve Austin of, the, of, of comic books in general. <laughs> You know, just looking at uh, even in the cinematic universe, the badassery that you have with Dolph Lundgren playing him at first. Then mm-hmm. you have, um, I've forgotten his name, Thomas Hayden something. 
uh, probably butchered his name there, uh, playing <laughs> that awesome movie. And I love that movie as well, too. Yeah. I find that movie, you know, when his family gets murdered in Puerto Rico. In Puerto Rico, yeah. And just goes balls to the mall, you know, melting Kevin mm. Nash's face in the little yeah. fryer. And then you yeah, had yeah. the next Kill Zone movie, it was balls to the crazy wall. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, that one was crazy. And then the new series, the Netflix series coming out on the, on the 17th, Mabide, looking at balls mm-hmm. to the wall right there. You know, it's just... This character has went to every timeline in our in our in our lives from the eighties, nineties, two thousands, and now you know it's not many people these days, not many characters in 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 written culture that get so many chances to produce crazy balls to the wall balls to the wall movies, and and to still remain relevant for yeah. so long. You know, he's a character that still remains relevant to this timeline you know in in the eight now in age since 19 you know like i told you let me uh, 74 yeah you know up until now you ask a lot of people and he is still even even that the, he is an anti-hero you know you ask people oh who's your favorite marvel all punisher you get what i'm saying so and the fact that he remains relevant nowadays is just freaking amazing i mean um there's one series that i love with punisher it came mm-hmm. out um a couple a couple of years back it was called war journal and it basically it was somebody who's who who found punisher's journals and were just being like i guess the narrator of frank castle's life and you would go deep dive into his past or his present uh being like almost a bounty hunter as well too his yes. fights with morbius his fights with blade as well too i never mm-hmm. thought that punisher need to be in the avengers or things of that nature, like a big group, he always felt right by himself, if not with somebody that he's grooming to be the next Punisher in a way. Yeah. Or even to side-kicking with a, with a Daredevil, or a Luke Cage, or an Iron Fist. Maybe even that's crossing it too much. I always felt like the lower-tier um, heroes or anti-heroes were the best because they're so grounded. How crazy... Is it that you see a character who is saving a rape victim? Yeah, you can't mm-hmm. shoot Thanos in the face. I know he would try. He would try many times. But the same token, you're, you're being the hero of the masses for the things that we're not talking about. Rape victims, um, people who are getting mugged in the street, thugs, exactly. um, criminal activity, you know, uh, scandalous acts as well pedophilia you know punisher has went to every of these every one of these subjects and succeeded and people misunderstand this uh, yeah misunderstand this character because of the fact that uh it hits too close to home yeah and the fact that it's also it hits too close to home and the fact that it's his brutal nature that you know like i said he's resorts to any means necessary like we said murder extortion torture anything and you know, he like you said, this dude is a ruined to and gun willing badass that, you know, so that's why I feel like he's really misunderstood. But you look into the story and you see what it is and why is it? Well, you know, one thing that I like about the Punisher too, like I said, that he, he works in small doses. Um mm-hmm. uh, I what I don't like is that Mar and it seemed good at at one point too, but I remember Marvel made a, almost a super team of the of a reestablishment of the Thunderbolts. And he had this whole red theme going on. It was like Red Hulk, Deadpool, I think Elektra, and Punisher. And it just did not work. Some things just don't work when you put someone who's anti-authority into an authority role. So I never mm-hmm. thought that that really meshed well. But I remember he had a great little miniseries in the Fear of Self story where him and Doctor Strange were tag teaming. And 
it was weird because you have like almost a Batman dynamic where Batman doesn't believe in magic. He believes in, you know, what's right in front of his face. And mm-hmm. you have somebody like Constantine just like throwing magic in his face and just like passing it by like that shit ain't real. That's what you got with Doctor Strange and Punisher and that kind of like a buddy cop thing going on. Things like yeah. that work for me. Limited series like that could be awesome. Where do you see Punisher really thriving? I, d- I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm more of a... I've always been that, that like that little lone wolf character. I've seen, I enjoy him striving as just by himself. I don't know why I gravitate. These are my opinions. I don't know why I gravitate. I see him working better as by himself. You know, we you because by himself, you know, you feel like you get to see his traumatic past, and it's like you know, you dive into him. You you open up to him. You get what I'm saying? You see this man's trials and tribulations. I've always been a person that liked these characters like Magneto, Punisher. Um, just stand off, stand alone. You know, I don't want them to get lost in the mix because I feel like, not that they get lost in the mix, but that these characters are just so of a strong entity by themselves that they by themselves could just stand off. You know, I don't mm-hmm. like seeing them mixed in any collabos or any groups. I just see him better stand off alone by himself. I don't know. Those are just my opinions. A lot of people may disagree with me, but do you think he's better stand off alone or um, as a group, like you said, in that mini spinoff series that you saw? Um, better by himself. I, I yeah. do like when he runs into different characters. So when we see the Netflix series come out, if you, I, I don't know if this is confirmed whatsoever, I could be wrong. But if I were to get like an episode where you get like a Blade character or you get like someone that just pops in, it doesn't even have to be like, like a Moon Knight or mm-hmm. some a little, even more, a little lower tiers. Well, too, it doesn't really have to be anybody big or whatnot. Even a Michael Morbius would be great as well, too. We won't get that because a Spider-Man villain. But the same mm-hmm. token, you know, something around that line. You know, him and Kingpin do such great work together because you get the ultimate mob boss versus mm-hmm. the ultimate hitman. So, mm-hmm. you know, him with Bullseye would be as well, too, trying to take each other on. We haven't seen Bullseye in the, the Netflix universe yet. So something like that would be awesome, playing off each other, being expert marksman versus the ex-marine. That would be awesome as well, mm-hmm. too. So... No, go ahead. No, 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 no. I'm just saying, go, go, go. I'm just um, saying, yeah, I was just going to agree with you. Things like that. Even, you know, even if it got to the point where him and Bucky would make an awesome tag team in one case too. Maybe not in the whole comic book, but like a miniseries. Either them going yeah. at it or just them fighting the bigger, you know, the greater good. You know, drop Frank Castle off in Russia and he meets with the Winter Soldier and they're taking out, you know, the KGB together. That'd be fun. Yeah, that would be fun. Both angles would be fun, like you said. Team up. Or, you know, going against each other. Because I would like to see the likes of Bucky Barnes. Yep. You know, cybernetic arms fighting this dude, Frank Castle. That would be awesome. Or, you know, like you said, a little tag team, you know. Or, uh, throw some Black Widow in there, triple threat, you know. Have all these <laughs> little, you know, anti-heroes gun to And, you know, that that would be kind of cool, you know. Since, like, a lot of these, besides Bucky, you know, a lot of them don't have, like, you guess, that superhero power, you know. So, that would be kind of cool. But that's why he's my number one. Like, I had such a grand, a, a grand love for this dude. Like, I just gravitated towards him because he's such a badass. But what's your number one? Okay. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm actually looking forward to this because you said a lot of people. Sorry for cutting you off. You said a lot of people, which I assumed were going to be your number one. So your number one, I don't know who the heck it is. I'm going to be surprised. So a lot of your picks and my picks gravitate to this character a lot. Mm-hmm. Um. Jack Kirby, Stan Lee original, mm-hmm. debuted in September 1963. He is someone, and it's a little bit of a cheat on my side, I will say that, maybe, mm-hmm. because he is your 
your tip of the top mountain top good guy. Can't do wrong whatsoever. Always played by the rules. Always did a great job. Even when he was influenced to do bad, he always saw fit to go straight forward and be the hero that people demanded him to be. In that case, I feel that with such high demand, you saw the structure breaking and ultimately became the anti-hero and then ultimately became the villain that he did before he died and met his end. And when he met his end, he was given the mantle of a martyr in a way. So my number one is Scott Summers, a.k.a. Cyclops. Mm, okay, this is interesting. You cheated! No, yes. Count. <laughs> so I say this because to, to, to have that anti-hero establishment, mm-hmm. I guess, formed around your structure, as uh, formed around your house being built... You have to have some kind of foundation. In fact, and Scott's foundation was he was always the born bred leader, mm-hmm. um, chosen by Professor X to be the leader of the X Men, um, chosen with such ferocity to always do good, to always be Professor X's succeeder, to always look and care and try to be able to look past evil or just past the ways of temptation and always do what's right for not only mutant kind but humanity itself and you went through decades of cyclops just becoming the goody two-shoes character you know no matter what he always stand up for justice he was like the the marvel's version of captain america in a way as well too always did right always looked for everybody else to be safe besides his own feelings Mm -hmm. um and you saw that deconstruct many times you know with um trying to convert his brother Havoc into the X-Men and seeing how many yeah. times that failed and succeeded sometimes as well too. But you had little uh, little things like that just just eat him up. Things with uh, Magneto just saying, hey, you're Professor X's you know, go-to boy. Why aren't you seeing what I'm seeing right now? Why don't you see your people suffering? And Cyclops just still sticking to the to the plan, saying, no, this is what you know, Xavier's saying, this is what we have to do. I'm all for this. Almost like religion in a way. No matter what you say, I still have yeah. my religion. I still have my roots. Exactly. So you see him even de- deconstruct even further with the marriage of Jean Grey. If anything, Jean Grey destroyed him as a character because of the times he, he gave up everything, his mantle as a leader in the X-Men for Jean Grey, seeing her die, and just seeing him give up on everything that that he once stood for, just stepping out of the zone of the X-Men, um, seeing a creation like a clone of her emerge, marrying the clone because she resembled Jean Grey. And mm-hmm. then when Jean Grey actually appeared out of nowhere, he left his married clone with children for Jean Grey. So already the seeds are just breaking down just as a horrible person. Not too horrible, but just a confused person conflicted with so much emotion inside of him that he doesn't know where to really channel it. And then you still have Professor X goading him, saying, listen, I know you have these personal insecurities in life, but you still have to be a leader. You still have to move forward. You're seeing Cyclops then um, give up his, his, his son to the, to the future to save his life from a techno, techno-organic fleshing disease. So he had to give up his son for that. So that also killed him as well, too. So you're seeing yeah. all these barriers break down and down and down. And it wasn't until um, 
the No More Mutants for Scarlet Witch, where 90% of all mutants just disappeared, where he just lost complete faith. And when you lose faith and then gravitate to something righteous is where you really start establishing yourself as an anti-hero. When I was talking about Cable having the baby Hope and seeing Hope as the first mutant, he's the one that gave Hope to Cable to say, protect this because this is our Messiah. She's going to lead us to the promised land in essence right there. Once again, bringing mm-hmm. it back to religion, seeing him break barriers with all the Marvel heroes with Miss Marvel, with Tony Stark, with Captain America saying, no, listen, we're going to take care of this. I know we're our own people. You know, we have our faults, but at the end of the day, we need to have this baby saved because she's the first one of our kind. And there may be more. You see the Marvel universe. Like, I don't know if we feel right about this right now because of the fact that one of your mutants almost destroyed half your race. What can this one do? You know, and then him be more radical because of the unknown him being more defiant because of the unknown. Even before that, making um, things like X-Force as well too, which is an underground mutant group that did the deeds Xavier didn't want to happen. He was mm-hmm. his own general at first, doing righteous acts. Um, to the point where when Hope came back with Cable and the X-Men were trying to detain her to figure out what her power was, he full-on lit an assault with the X-Men to challenge the Avengers, went head-to-head with Captain America, beat him, went head-to-head with Wolverine, and almost beat him as well, too. Mm -hmm. To the fact that when that happened, it even deconstructed him more because his own people were divided. And in this case now, with his own people divided, he took the belief system that Magneto already had and made it ten times even more crazy. You know, if I said that he was like a Joel Alstein, um, he's like Joel Alstein mixed up with... I, I can't, maybe a Joseph Stalin almost to the point where he saw that humanity just needed to be destroyed altogether. He made his own X-Men um, group with the likes of Emma Frost, Magneto, and Namor being a more of a radical brotherhood in a way, trying to find more mutants, convert them, and attack Wolverine's side of, uh, of the X-Men as well too, as, as well as the Avengers. Um, to the point where at one time... And I believe yeah, that one time, too, he actually murders Professor Xavier, which makes him the full-fledged villain that he became. Literally, Optic Blast Xavier to, to, mm-hmm. to hell. So yeah. it, it's, it's, it's crazy how you could deconstruct somebody so much when they all they wanted to do was succeed and succeed and succeed. He was someone that was always meant to fail, in my opinion, no matter how much he tried. He always was set up for failure. And it sucks because he's one of my favorite characters of all time. He's a character that you can relate to on so many levels personally, with your job, with your family situation, with your kids. You can look at him so many, um, in so many lights and say, okay, this is what I cannot be. And which is what you strive to be different from because you look at a person like this, how far they can go, how far they could be an anti-hero, and then as far as they could be a villain as well too. He's my number one pick. And that's a great pick, and I loved how you just broke it down, and you just gave this great backstory to an amazing character, complex, multi-level character. Like you said, he was always egged on to be that goody two-shoe, and then he snaps, you know, and, and like you said, blasting Professor Xavier to hell with that optic beam. So, you know, I like this pick. I'm not mad about this pick. I just have a question. Um, we'll, we'll, I mean, I may be wrong. I don't know how I'm describing this, but what comic book series was it where... Um, I think he was bad, I think, or something like that. And then he had, like, 
the mutants on an island or something like that. I yeah. forgot what it was. What, what series was that? I forgot. It's not oh. that that was um either Uncanny X Men, but that was going yeah. into Avengers versus X Men storyline and the Schism okay. storyline as well too. That's what I was gonna say. It was something with the Schism storyline as well. Exactly. Right? It was um okay. going it was going from Schism to um, X Men versus Avengers, and mm-hmm. that's when you saw the break of Cyclops finally, and that's where you get his more radical movement. It wasn't. Even then, he was more of an anti-hero because of the fact that he was doing things for the right reason. He was saving his people. He was saving, essentially, this little girl who could be this Jesus Christ figure. Once again, bringing it back to religion. He had mm-hmm. such a radical thought that this girl can just repopulate the mutant kind again somehow, some way, that he stuck to his guns, stuck to his morals, and kept going straight. This is what, this is what radical religious entities could be. Cyclops is a perfect representation of a person like ISIS or like, you know, the people of ISIS or, or radical terrorism as well too. Him and Magneto coexist together as well too, to the point where even Magneto was like, I don't know what the hell's going on when he killed Xavier. It's like, like I said, it's like a Joseph Stalin meets um, of Joel Osteen where religion couldn't start a war at any moment. And it's crazy how this person be, was was well respected and groomed to be the best person, the leader of a revolution, and became essentially yes, a leader of the revolution by the opposite end. No, yeah, I, I believe it was all when he snapped, like when Magneto's like, "What the heck is going on?" I just believe it was all due to pressure. You get what I'm saying? Like, of course, he was just groomed to be that perfect hero, that goody two shoe. Like he was. He was groomed to be that leader. You know, that's what Xavier was grooming him to lead my men, lead my X-Men, you know. So I feel like that is, you know, which also kind of like, you know, like leads, like you said, like comic book translates to real life or life translate into comic books, you know. It, it, like you said, people can relate to it because sometimes with this pressure where you have to uphold this image, you just snap at one point. You get what I'm saying? So I think that's what we saw with Cyclops. Like you said, he snapped and then... Magneto was questioning, like, what the heck is going on? You know, I thought he was and, getting too shoot. And maybe um, I'm going a little too far by saying this, like, comparing him to radical ISIS. But in a way, kind of, like, you look at Christianity. Christianity is a perfect example throughout the years as the religion itself, where it, it was founded on great beliefs. But then how radical it became with the, with the Crusades and the Templar Knights killing the name mm-hmm. of something that they didn't fully understand as well, too, being crumbled up to their pressure. And you look at radical christians today you know just you know hurting other people in the name of jesus shooting people in the name of jesus as well too for no apparent reason because you're different than my kind so he's a perfect mirror image of what the idea of organized religion can do to you not what faith can do but organized religion religion. yeah so my question now you're talking about all this organized religion and faith and stuff do you feel that this is just a weird, random question. Can you see a comparison of um, Charles Xavier being a somewhat, I don't want to say cultist leader, but somewhat of a religious leader to these X-Men, like a little religious leader to these X-Men, like, you know, a, like a cultist, you get what I'm saying? Like, I don't want to say as a pastor, a preacher, or anything like that, but somewhat of a cult-like following. Yes, like, like I, I can see that to an extent. I feel that... Xavier himself doesn't see himself see himself in that light. Maybe more mm. Magneto does. Um, mm. Eric definitely sees himself as some Ayatollah figure. But Xavier himself 
is definitely trying to to rally up mutant kind in a way where he wants to have unity, but sometimes to bring unity, there has to be self-defense. And I think that's what the X-Men originally was established for, was because, yeah, uh, we can preach peace like Gandhi all day, but if we have to throw our hands down, we do it in a way where it's professional and right to do so. So when you see someone have those ideas and try to live up to that expectation, it can make somebody crumble if they're not ready for it, especially someone who is fragile as Scott with his mind. Um, looking at even his, his, his power, not being able to see because he's so mm -hmm. focused on his being. It's like you're so one-sided that you can't even see anywhere else. It's such a crazy metaphor for his existence in comics because he's always going to see where the beam shows him to see, where where it directs him to see. He's never going to see any other side of the picture unless he's influenced to see so. Uh, I do see the X-Men looking at Charles as some kind of like cult leader in a way, but mm -hmm. not really Charles trying to be that person. And if he does see that, I think he tries to put a stop to it as fast as he can, whereas Eric, Eric will definitely feed into that as much as possible. All right, let's see. I just wanted to get your view on that because, like, you know, we said, and I feel, I mean, not that I feel that he is that cultist leader, but sometimes I just feel like, you know, I guess it's because I'm a Magneto fan, and, you know, Magneto wants you to use your powers and stuff like that and be who you are and be proud. You know, like, I feel like you just saw it, like, sometimes he wanted to, sometimes it comes across as he wants to dumb down these kids. You get what I'm saying? But I know he's doing it. To, for the greater good, not to be just this hostile, volatile mutant going around. Definitely. If, body and people. And not to cut you off with that, with um, looking at Xavier, he's a man full of secrets. Um, mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. he has to be, because if you're in a position to hold so many skeletons in a closet, at the end of the day, you have to put some kind of restrictions to your, I guess, classmates or family in a way. And looking at uh, a person like Jean Grey, for example... Of course he put limits to her power because you can see what happens when she was at full power. She could destroy the earth. Yeah. Imagine if, you know, Magneto gave Jean that ability to say, hey, listen, all restraints are off. Do what you want to do. She would have obliterated him in one second. So, yeah. you know, yeah, um, Xavier does have to have to, I, I guess, put a barrier on some statures. But the same token, though, I think it's more for the greater good. Now, I do feel that he is questionable with some acts. He is part of Marvel's Universe's own Illuminati with Black Bolt, yeah, Strange. So they do questionable things as well, too. But I never yeah. see him as evil characters. If anything, I never saw Xavier as an evil character. But I could always say, what if? And if you look at a what if, you get like a person like a Legion. And imagine how mm -hmm. crazy that could be. Mm -hmm. No, definitely. I always thought... I mean, I always thought, like you said, Xavier was a character with a lot of dark secrets, you know? Like, I feel that character is very complex, and there's a lot more to him that meets, you know, the reader's eyes, you know? Like, I just feel like it never was... Because I feel like it's a character that there's still a lot of mystery. Like, you just can't be like this, you know? But that's just me maybe just reading too much into the lines. But I definitely wouldn't be surprised. Like you said, the whole thing with the Illuminati is just like, okay, you know... It's not supposed to be a villainous book, but, you know, it is kind of villainous. You know what I'm saying? So it's secretive. But 
I don't know. That's just me. I just wanted to see how you felt about that. So uh, now that I, I, I tell you the and I, like I was saying too, he became a martyr because at one point too there was a mutant um, destroyed gene that was out, and Cyclops led his X Men to basically stopping this gene from being spread out to the world to the point where he went in with a raid with the X Men and. You see, and the spoiler for everybody who hasn't read this comic, it happened already. It was a big event. Um, he, in the beginning of the comic, he gets hit by the gene. And you don't know until the end because throughout the whole book and series, it's Emma Frost and she has telekinetic powers. She's mm-hmm. making an image in everybody's head that Cyclops is there with him, with them throughout the whole time. So stopping the gene, stopping the spread of the gene, they make him feel like a hero at the end of the day and then dying as a hero when in the beginning of the book, he's actually dying right next to like a garbage can getting fleshed out. So in essence, instead of dying as a bum in the beginning of the book, mm-hmm. he's meant to everybody as a martyr, like killed himself essentially for the greater good. Yeah. Uh- I'm trying to remember that I'm drawing a blank here. Like, yeah, like my form just so quiet because I'm just trying to remember that. But yeah, no, I, 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 I would just because, like I said, you know, my memory is terrible, so Ooh. I would just have to, like, yeah. How do you feel about this now? Um, I was gonna ask you if you would ever see in any kind of timeline that Scott would have been redeemable in some way, but we kind of do have that in the Marvel universe now because. Mm-hmm. You know, Marvel loves to play with time. They brought back the original X-Men from the 60s as teenagers into this universe. So you have your own Jean Grey, you know, a teenager Jean Grey, a teenager Cyclops, teenager Beast, and so on and so forth. So knowing what Scott has done and been through with the decades and decades of material, do you see this... And not essentially new Scott, old Scott, new Scott, mega Scott. This uh, <laughs> that's great. I like how you just injected that. There. <laughs> Scott Pilgrim fans out there. Um, do you see this Scott basically being more redeemable, or do you see him just like um, the original Scott Summers, a product of society, is going to fail no matter what? No, I think I think they'll make him. Uh bit more redeemable because I don't think they would want to take down that same path that they went with the original Cyclops I guess you could say with the old one so right. I think they would redeem Nega Scott you know like <laughs> not because it would kind of be uh, like how do you say uh, the history of being itself the past of being itself so it would be kind of rhetorical but I think they would actually redeem it with this new Scott in my opinion okay I like that I like yeah. that so there's a bright future for Scott no matter what in your eyes oh yeah no definitely yeah and, and like you said this is a character I mean, in my eyes, I mean, even though he snapped and went ballistic, but in my eyes, he never does nothing wrong, you know, because it was just all this pressure, the weight of the world on his shoulders, you know, and at times you snap. If it was a, it was a bad snap, but hey, you get what I'm saying? You have to blow some steam. And if, you know, that just happened, not saying condoning to go out there and do, you know, villainous acts, but I'm saying like, so there is hope for him, I believe. And with all that, that was, that has happened in his past, I believe that he will always be a hero in everybody's eyes. You know, oh, I definitely. think he, he will be more seen as a hero than an anti-villain for that little split second that he had that little meltdown. So I don't, I don't think this character can do any wrong. Definitely. I love Scott so much for being this yeah. prolific character in my childhood. So today um, it's tough because like I said, I, I can't really look 
at any timeline see he could have been redeemable at this point in time because of the fact mm-hmm. that, you know, that's like saying, what if he never met Charles? Well, he probably would have never got to control his powers. What yeah. if he never met Gene? You know, Gene came because Xavier came. You know, you also had Mr. Sinister in the background playing some little mind games with Scott Rawls one entire life because he loves his summer family. You have um, him in talks with Magneto half the time battling with him, being Professor X's pupil, essentially, to take the helm. You have, you know, Eric just spitting sweet lies into his ear throughout decades and decades and decades of comic books. And, of course, he's just a subject uh, of circumstance, basically. Um, so many mm-hmm. wrong decisions were coming his way that it had to happen eventually. No, yeah, it was something that definitely had to happen because everybody has their breaking point. So my question to you is, you know how um, oh, there's all these series going on, like you said, he just he brought back. Would you like to see like a Netflix series for like Let's say, you know, like a Scott Storm is just, you know, BS and question around, you know, throwing questions around. Like, would you like to see something like that or at any point to see more to this character, you know? Like, would you like to see it or do you think he's just fine how he got his ending and stuff like that? In in the comic book world or cinematic world? Because in the cinematic world, he's been slapped silly, disrespected so much. In um the cinematic world, because I know the comic world, he's gotten his justice. So. Um, in, in the cinematic world, I want... Such a better version of Cyclops. Yeah. I feel like in every movie he's been slapped around as such a, like a nonchalant character. Mm-hmm. I definitely, I wish, and with the talks of 21st Century Fox being bought out by Disney, maybe, I'm not too sure, that's still the talks. If that were to happen, that then Disney would have the rights to the X-Men, essentially. I'm not sure how I feel about that, because then you have a Disney version of a Wolverine and Cyclops, and I don't think they would go as far as I would want them to do. I do feel that Fox, for all the shit that I give them, they have mm. the ability to do it right when they have, number one, the right director, the right studio, and making it more PG-13 rated R content. You've yeah. seen Deadpool work. You've seen mm-hmm. Logan work. So they're making a New Mutants movie next year where it's just like, it looks like Nightmare on Elm Street in a way. So they have the main, yeah. the means to do it. It's just you have to pull the trigger. I would love to see them just reboot the universe and just make you know the first X Men just having you know Scott, Gene, you know Beast there and Warren there as well too, and just dealing with their powers and insecurities as late teenagers, not like early teenagers like um, Peter Parker, more of like six, mm. seventeen, going to eighteen, going right into college. That works, and then building upon that and seeing it that gets deconstructed. I would love to see another Netflix series. If anything, I would love to see it more on a Netflix, Hulu, or HBO to see if they could push the boundaries of that. Not making this giant galactic freaking force like the Avenger is, you know, Avengers villains, you know, I'm sorry, um, yeah. X Men villains going to the Savage Land, looking at dinosaurs and stuff like that. Maybe going to the moon for a second and taking on the Inhumans. It, it, it's a fan fiction dream come true. It's hard though if you really, you really have to just erase everything that was done and start from scratch again. And I don't know if Fox is willing to do that. Yeah, I, I just wanted to to get your view because I feel like in the comic book world, you know, he had his justice, even though you know, being like, you know, the comic book relevancy and timeline they play with it so much and they yeah. do a reboot at any moment. So, but I was just wondering more so in as Netflix wise, because you know, you you see. Uh, let's be honest, you see these superhero movies are becoming very popular, superhero shows, you know, Inhumans, stuff like that, you get what I'm saying? So, 
I just wanted to know where you would stand on a little Scott Summer series or something like that. So, do you have any honorable mentions you want to throw out there besides Legion? Uh, besides Legion, um, I really, I, I don't know. Like, I really, I, I was kind of in between. I, I would say Wolverine, but the thing yeah. is, Wolverine is so cliche, you know? Exactly. And, and you know me, I don't like to do the whole cliche. I would do, um, I would say Wolverine, you know, but because I say Wolverine is, um, a lot of people would question Wolverine being in here. Kind of, he would be kind of like a little Scott Summer counter to you. You get what I'm saying? Because, right. I mean, people would sit here and say, no, Wolverine is not an antihero. Wolverine is moral. He's always been that moral soldier that, you know, kind of does the greater good and stuff like that. But it's just more of his methods which make him an antihero. You right. You know what I'm saying? So, but it's kind of like that thin line between, okay, he's not really an antihero. He's more of a hero. But his methods. Um, if I had another one, um, an- I-, I believe, I-, I really haven't dived too much into this one, but I believe um, another anti-hero is um, Doctor Doom. I think Doctor Doom is misunderstood at one point. Um, yeah. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to think where it was that he was fighting for good at one point. I believe he teamed up or something like that with somebody. Doesn't does, I can't recall right now because, like I said, my memory is horrible, but Doctor Doom is also somewhat of a misunderstood Villain, hero, anti-hero, you get what I'm saying? Um, as far as for honorable mentions, I think that's far as I could go because I never really appreciated Blade and nothing like that. I'm sorry, that's just me. I never really appreciated the Blade character. Mm-hmm. Um, you could say Elektra. Elektra is another anti-hero. You know, she's a pretty dope one. Um, yeah, I, I would throw um, Daredevil in there when he went into that whole um, um, yeah, was it? Hell's, um, the that, Shadow, the Sh- Shadow, yeah, yeah. The the what was it called? I think it was Shadowland. Yeah, Shadowland, where he just started going ham. You know what I'm saying? People so, hate that comic book, too. I love that comic book. <laughs> yeah, I know you were a fan of that comic book. That that was cool. So I would throw Daredevil as a honorable mention for an anti-hero. So, you know, those are the ones that I can just think really quick off the bat. But what about you? you Same here. I mean, I have more, like, low-level uh, tiers, too, because I yeah. love my B and C-list characters. Yeah. But definitely, you know, I didn't put the lights of Wolverine and... Um, Deadpool in there because I felt like they were too oh, cliche. Yeah, People yeah. want that. Um, I was going to put Daredevil as well, too. I was going to put Blade. They were on my list, but then I thought about it. That's what makes the top five a little harder because mm-hmm. you have to exclude some people. Uh, people like Taskmaster is going to be in this as well, too. Yeah. Um, I love Taskmaster just being like the essential trainee to Avengers slash Brotherhood of Mutants as well, too. Um, Prowler from Spider-Man I love. There's a lot of people that I could probably think of right now um, that don't get their due ju- uh, diligence. Gambit at one time was a villain as well, ah, too. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, Gambit. I, I was going to throw him on my list. I'm surprised I didn't, but I felt like the other ones. But Gambit is definitely an honorable mention. Yeah, Mystique and Rogue, they were going to be part of it mm-hmm. as well, too. But I felt Mystique was too villainous at one point. Um, and then Rogue, um, I, it, it didn't make that cut up. Even um, Scarlet Witch was going to be part of it as well, too. Um, Pietro oh, was yeah, going to be, too. Witch. But, you know, it all depends. You know, that's what makes this pop five so fun because you get to play around with different variables and just surprise each other with little picks like we did today. Oh, yeah, no, I'm surprised with your list, you know. Um, uh, another one I would say honorable mention, uh, he's a little cliche, but I would go with... Um, Ghost Rider. Oh yeah, Ghost, Ghost Rider, Rider too. There. Definitely. Ghost Ghost Rider is another one that I would definitely put in there. And um yeah, that that's about it. You know, those are the ones I could come up with right now. So but yeah, no, definitely. That's why I love these lists because bro, 
I definitely did not see that Scott Summer coming. And like I said, the the Neymar, I definitely thought, you know, he would have been higher. You get what I'm saying? So that's Ooh. why these lists, yeah, these lists are awesome. You yes, man. No, no, I was going to say, oh. this was an incredible. I had a great time doing this. We always have fun and surprise each other when we do these pop five conversations. I hope everybody out there listening is having fun. Bro, man, Jay Rance, where can they find you? <laughs> they could find me here at underscore J Rance, doing my thing on the stoop and the Kamora Chronicles and popping up usually on the Sideshow Conversations. The Kamora Chronicles is also on iTunes. You can check that out there. You can hit me up on Instagram at also underscore J Rance, the same name as here. And you could hit me up on Twitter at EDM Trippy. Where can they find you, bro? They can find me here, Val Cisco on Bumpers, doing the Kamora Chronicles with you as your co-host and doing Sideshow Conversations, which we are on right now. Doing pop fives, doing movie reviews, game reviews, and just pro wrestling banter as well, too. Um, on the Twitter at uncandy underscore V, Val Cisco, and our Facebook page as well, too, Sideshow Conversations, where we put everything from Kamora Chronos to Sideshow Conversations to the Stoop. Everything falls in compass, so you can get your freak on there anytime, any day. Bro, this has been fantastic. I had a fun mm-hmm. time with you. Yeah, I can't wait definitely. for the next one, bro. Me either, man. This was awesome. I was shocked with your list. Like, that's why I like doing these. It has been fun, man. All right, brother. Until the next time, have a good one. All right, you too, bro. Later.